Hello everyone, welcome to part two of my interview with my COO, Brenna. We did part one earlier this week and the interview was just so good. We could not edit it down into a normal podcast length. We had to break it into two episodes. So this is the second episode. So if you're seeing this in your feed and you haven't listened to the first episode, go back and listen to part one. It will give you context and you won't just be joining in partway through a conversation. So make sure you've already listened to part one and also make sure that you get your applications in for Simple Scaling Mastermind. Right now we are enrolling our April 2022 class and today is the last day to submit your application. So if you are ready to get in that room to be building your foundation for scale, scaling your business, that is the place to be, to be simply scaling to a million dollars. So don't miss out. Go get that application in. We cannot wait to see you in our April class and enjoy this amazing part two of our sneak peek into running a million dollar business. Okay, another question. How do you handle quick growth in clients in terms of capacity? So this is kind of like a segue question into the third principle of scaling, demand. And something I talk about a lot is you both have like the selling part of your business and the delivery part of your business. And you need to make sure that you have the capacity to deliver at the level you're selling and you really have to balance those two things. And something that I think we do so well, both of us, is really thinking long-term. And so we're never taken by surprise by the number of people we sell. Yeah. I read this question and just instantly was like, this is where we excel. It really is. I think we... <laughs> Maybe it's us and our anxious brain serving us well to a certain extent, <laughs> but I just think that proactivity versus reactivity, like we just never want to be in a position, like some people may think about having a launch where you don't hit your goal as a failure or like the ultimate failure, like worst case scenario. In my brain, the worst case scenario is that we have a launch and get so many people and we can't deliver value to them. And I think we have set up systems to kind of prevent that from happening already. So I don't really see that being a possibility for us, but to me, that is so much worse than maybe just like not hitting a goal for one time or one launch. I think we have a, a really good way of like brainstorming and being strategic, but being able to bring it back to that like core motivator of bringing the utmost value to our clients and over delivering all the time. Mm -hmm. I think that is such a strong value in the company. And so we're always thinking about like, if we got double what our goal is, how would we handle that? Or like how we're thinking right now about 2,500 women joining in one year. 
Like we already know how we would handle that and what needs to change and all of those things. So if we notice, hey, we're tracking towards that goal faster than we thought, we know exactly what to do. Okay, let's talk more about demand. What do you think is different at a million dollars demand-wise? I think what has been different, I guess just really has to do with the process of scaling. It's again, that knowing that the demand is out there, but finding it in ways that are different than the previous methods. Because I think that's been our ultimate challenge is the messaging has gotten a lot more clear. That's a more, I, I, won't, I won't say sustainable forever in the future, but at this time, like not, it's one of those where everything has changed because I think you've gotten more clear and your energy has, but the actual act of doing it and our launch plans and strategies haven't changed that much. But I think what's really shifting is how, how are we putting that message out there? How are we growing our audience? How are we growing our email list? How are we getting more listeners to the podcast? Because we do have to think in ways that are a little less conventional than when we had smaller goals. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. And I think like a big shift for me obviously has been selling to multiple people at one time, like selling to the masses instead of selling one-to-one. And that it took a long time, I think, for me to develop that skill. And I feel like it was kind of like an incremental build on that. And what's so funny is now that I feel like I've mastered a lot of that, what I look at is wow, it's like all the same exact things as when I was selling one-to-one just applied to the masses. Like all the reasons it was hard for me, all of the reasons that I wasn't hitting my goals were all the same reasons why I wasn't selling when I first started, which is so fascinating. It's like different work, but always the same. Yeah. And what's really interesting too, now that you're saying it, it's, it's so funny how it feels like a lifetime ago, but I'm like, it was only last year that you were still doing one-on-ones and off-boarded one-on-ones. Like it was 2021 that you did that. And so like 12 months ago where I let everybody go. And that same month you had hit a million dollars in a 12 month period in the business. And so I'm kind of like re-looking at this question going, oh my gosh, but there's everything about the demand is different because even just getting really clear on our two offers was a huge part of how we shifted our our strategy around demand, around marketing, mm-hmm. just getting more clear on those group programs and really like getting super clear on who the audience is for that, who we will help. Yeah. I think like thinking about the first million, I think at least 400,000, if not more of the first million was from one-on-one revenue. And now the second million that we made this past year is so, so different. Yeah. It is entirely from group offers. There is no one-on-one. There was no like one-on-one consult calls. You know what I mean? Like it's just a completely different method of selling, completely different 
offer ways yeah. to make money. So many more yeses, like the yep. math of one-on-one -on -one clients at 20K, which was the last rate that I had, versus the math of selling people into a $2,000 program. Like not only am I making less per yes, I'm selling so many more people into it. Like it's just so different, you know? I feel like so much has changed. And it goes back to like sort of reach too in the way that we're marketing before. And it still, again, blows my mind. It wasn't that long ago that you had a Facebook group that was your main source of selling people. Yeah. And now our marketing has become more expensive because we are realizing that there is an efficient and scalable way through paid ads to continue to grow that audience. But that looks completely different than everything you did even a year, year and a half ago. I know. Now I'm like, wow, we've burned down basically everything and yeah. <laughs> built new. Yeah. No wonder there was growing pains. Yeah. Last year was like the rebirth of the business. It was a phoenix. It was. <laughs> I lit it on fire. It has born itself again. That should have been the theme of our October Mastermind. Because it was in Phoenix? Yes. How perfect. We just didn't even know. We did it subconsciously. I love it. It was on theme. Okay. I want to like quickly run through because people listening to this, that this is like relevant for that want to know this about launching specifically in demand. I'm writing an entire book about it right now. I'm talking about all of my experience. I'm talking about exactly what I do, planning, execution, the retrospective like evaluation process Brenna talked about, delegation and like roles in launching. Like I'm talking about every single detail. Basically any thought in my brain about launching, I'm putting into a written format for the next round of the mastermind for you all to have. So like this will be high level, quick overview, but I do think it would be good to kind of give like a quick little sneak peek into like, how do we launch? Yeah. Well, I guess starting with planning, I think just we're always planning launches. We never really oh, yeah. stop planning like as launches. Soon as we're done planning a launch, we start planning the next launch. Mm -hmm. like we're already planning the March launch. Like we're recording this. We haven't even started the execution phase for our <laughs> January mastermind launch, and I'm already focused on the March launch. So we're always planning. I think planning for both of us is the most important piece. Yeah. I think we get everything done that we need to get done when we are initially planning. We start always with a goal. It's always what's our goal. And I feel like now we have this like kind of cool way of looking at it. I don't know if you would describe it as this, but the way I see it in my head is kind of like we have the short-term goal and the long-term goal. The short-term is like, I hate to say realistic goal, but that is like the easiest way I can think of to describe it. Whereas long-term goal is like, where do we want to be in three years? Where do we want to be in five years? And having that long-term vision and being proactive and helping build that up. And then once we've kind of established that, then we work out the how. And a lot of that lately has come, we definitely have some creative ideas and creative thinking. We don't want to just be stuck to what we've 
done before, but I do think we've been in a good place in the past year where we've experimented a lot and we've collected a lot of really good data and information on what has worked and what hasn't worked. And that served us really well. And I think it's why our last launch was so successful. And I think it's why our next few launches are going to be really successful as well. I, I believe that very strongly because of how much information we've collected. And then from there, we kind of break it down and delegate and I'll break it down further for the rest of the team. So we'll kind of break it down together, really seeing what's going to be my tasks or the tasks for the rest of the team and then what Samantha is going to be creating. So yeah. um, like a lot again, of what that like looks like is my content. Piece is always creation. Yep. Yep. Creation and vision. Yeah. It's like I come to you with like the vision mm-hmm. and the belief about the launch and we do the planning and then I go and do the creation. Yeah. And then with that as well, once we see the breakdown of projects and we can kind of break them out into tasks and understand what that would look like, we do go in and edit. We do go in and cross 15 things off the list and say, we'll do this next launch or we'll do this two launches from now and kind of backlog it, keep it in our like (laughs) little ideal idea area for the future and really try to be intentional about what we're taking on and and again, go back to what we want to feel, what we want to think, like what we want our time and space to look like. And then from there, I will take that, delegate to the rest of the team. Yeah. And then I would say the execution phase of a launch, it kind of depends on what the launch was. Like with design, I was very hands-on on the execution because I was going live every day. Yeah. But even still throughout that launch, I think aside from my daily lives, my most important work that week was staying in belief. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like that is for me always the work during a launch is being in that place, really just watching my mind and how I'm feeling and bringing myself back to where I want to be. And then with the mastermind launch that is going to be happening as you listen to this episode. We are trying something a little different. So we, Brenna is going to be in town, but we're also having other family in town. We're going to be up at my cabin for part of the, like maybe half the week before the launch starts, the weekend before the launch starts. And then the first two days of the three-day launch, we will have family there. It's the ultimate challenge. This is the ultimate challenge of what I teach. And I really this time want to work on having the launch where I'm not like hyper fixated and on an emotional roller coaster and all of the things. Like I really want to be sitting in trust and enjoyment and sufficiency and all of the things. So that is going to be my work this launch. And another thing that I would say we do besides looking at the videos, that's like, I think our favorite thing about a mastermind launch, watching the videos. I think the other thing is we are watching who's applying, what are their applications looking like? And can we tell that we're hitting the mark? Like, are we attracting the people we want to be attracting with the messaging that's going out there? And almost always I will write emails, new emails, edit emails, Mm -hmm. not like a ton of stuff, but I usually get like launch week inspiration. Yeah. I'll be curious this time. I am super curious this time. I think something that's always been like a good 
data point for us has been email inquiries. Like what are we, what direct feedback or questions are we getting from people during our launch? And it usually helps us figure out what is this like mindset of the person who's reaching out? Are there gaps in our messaging? Did we forget to include something? Because I mean, there's so much to share. There's so many points to touch on that we usually do decide to add a little more content in throughout the launch. But I will say over time that has reduced like the number of inquiries we get or the types of questions So I really felt like the last launch we were getting fewer, fewer repetitive questions and, and things along those lines. So, and more people just buying. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great sign. What I love is like, from your perspective, it's like, we're not, we don't have gaps in what data they want to have or what information they want to have. And for me, it's like, it totally flows from how clear I am on who they are, what they're buying, the certainty I have that they're going to get the result they want. Mm -hmm. My belief, I'm like, my belief is like well-rounded and like fully filled out on this offer. That's when it works. Yeah. I definitely think it's a combination of those things though. And I feel like that's one of the reasons, which is funny you say that. And I'm like, yeah, because your background is in psychology and life coaching and my background is in statistics. (laughs) So (laughs) you marry those two things and you get this dynamic. And I think it works. I think so too. I think that's part of the magic. What would you say fast and slow stream look like at this level? So this is a concept that I teach in Mama to CEO. The way that I think about fast stream is going where the people are and then slow stream is the content that you're putting out to your audience that is nurturing them. What do you think it looks like at this level? Well, I think that for us, fast stream looks more like ads because that is us trying to go where the people are. And I know that we've talked about ads quite a bit on this call because it's been a journey for us just really trying to figure out where are our people and where can we maybe in a less with fewer obstacles. Yes. Connect with that audience. I teach literally what is the intersection of where your people are and where you shine best. And I feel like this has been our ads journey is where our people are and like, how are we going to shine best with the least amount of friction? And I think that, I think that we both, with our ad strategy, had been trying to work through the friction, and we have now like shifted to this new strategy of like, let's try a bunch of things, experiment. And then let's look and see where's the least amount of friction. And that's the thing we're going to do. Yeah. And it's so funny because that's exactly what I would advise somebody to do at the very beginning, not with ads. Yeah. Definitely not with ads. No. (laughs) (laughs) But like doing that kind of experimentation and then going with the thing with the least amount of friction to get the result that you want. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, of course we're doing that. That makes so much more sense than like trying to force the thing that has a lot of friction. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So I feel like that's the big one for me. And then when I think of like slow and nurturing, I think, well, it's funny because it kind of goes hand in hand with ads to a certain extent, but with the ads, we're trying to provide instant value Mm -hmm. through whatever offer we have and, you know, growing our list in that way. Whereas I feel like email has been a huge place for us to just really nurture our list. And I think it's so obvious now, especially with our closed enrollment strategy and only opening for certain periods and certain events that our slower stream strategy is we're going to nurture them and give them as much value via the content in our emails. And I think through live events as well. I mean, would you describe that as being more of a slow stream activity because it kind of comes from nurturing this audience for a bit of time and then offering them this yeah, like valuable I thing. Like count that as a slow stream thing. Cause to me, like a launch is collecting on all of that value and nurturing that I did. Like the way that my business is now where we do so much nurturing and there's not that instant feedback of getting a purchase because doors are closed. So when we do launch, it's like, that's when we like go around and scoop up all that value we put out there. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. The other thing that I want to say about demand is that I think the major thing that is allowing me to be scaling to a million beyond a million is the intellectual property that I've created and the way that I have really established myself as different than other people who do what I do. I'm not the only business coach. I'm not the only business coach for moms. And in a space where there, I feel like, is so much competition, something that my coach told me, which I found extremely validating, is that it's easy to get to like six figures or so as a business coach, which I... I would disagree. I think it's hard to sell business coaching when you're not succeeding, but I get her point. But it is really hard to get to a million dollars and beyond because there is so much competition. Like a high ticket one-on-one business coach who's made some money. Yeah, that's like the easiest thing you could ever sell. I think getting into scalable offers and selling those, differentiating them in the marketplace, like that kind of thing, that is difficult. Even though you're selling, helping people make money, there's a lot of people who are doing that in that space. And so the thing that I just really like to emphasize for my clients on demand is when you spend that time to see yourself as a thought leader, to create, like I said, that's how I spend the majority of my time creating. When you spend that time creating things that are unique, things people can't find anywhere else, That is what's going to make you so much money. That is how you scale. That's how you sell group offers, scalable offers, that kind of thing. It's just so, so important to be establishing yourself in that way. What do you think? I feel like I've been like on this ranty tangent. No, I love it. I totally agree. I think that when you have that strong message that sets you apart, I think from my perspective, it makes it easier for me to do my job. And I think it makes it easier for those working on the team to do their jobs as well, because you have such, you have such a clear stance, such clear positioning 
that when we are creating marketing assets or making decisions about how to approach a launch and you know, you're creating a ton of content, but you're not creating all the content. I know it's a, a game plan for us when we think about scaling to $10 million and, and more than 10 million that you won't be creating all of the content, especially for marketing. And so it's one of those things where you're really like establishing this messaging and setting the stage in a way that is so clear. And so it's clear, it's concise. It's something that can be communicated to the rest of the team. And because of that, we can take it and then continue to implement the vision and continue to sort of speak that out into the world. Yeah, so good. Okay, last principle is team the one that uh, my favorite talking about the whole time <laughs> it's my so favorite like, one <laughs> what is different at one million dollars? okay this is where it's like everything is different at one million dollars <laughs> I oh my goodness well like more specific role designation it's happening it's inevitable and I think that's really amazing when you have a business that is maybe under a million, I don't know how you would quantify it, maybe with like revenue brackets or something. But I feel like instead of you doing everything, when you got to that million dollar mark, that's when you hired me on full time. That's when we started looking at other roles. That's when we reevaluated everyone that we had hired as a contractor, anyone who was influencing our business. And went through this process of reevaluating everything and like burning things down and building them back up. We hired a bunch of people last summer. We're in this new phase, I think, of hiring now. And it's because we're getting very clear on our vision and it's helping us to look through, figure out the how, and then what do we need to do to make that how happen. And it doesn't look like us having our hands in everything doing everything ourselves, figuring everything out ourselves. It's us being really intentional and providing opportunities for other people who are want to be a part of our business, who have the same values and passion that we have for this business and to just continue to grow in that way. So yeah, everything feels like it's changing yeah. in the best way. I think so too. I think, I feel like the the business feels so different. Something that I've heard is like, when somebody has one baby, it's like a couple with a baby. And when a couple has like multiple children, then it's like a different, a different vibe than a couple with a baby. And I feel like for sure in my family, that felt accurate. Like it, it became like kids take over. And I feel like in the business, it's kind of been similar. Like it was like a CEO with like a VA or an OBM or that kind of thing. And it was like, dynamic duo almost and now it's like no this is like a bigger team this is growing this is more robust like this is like an organization and it feels like it has a really different feel than like the simple like CEO and sidekick vibe yeah yeah well and it's kind of like what I had said previously too about how my longer term vision for myself is to step more into this role. I think it's been really fun that you, once I started working for you full time, you were like, great, this is your title now. You're not like a business manager or like some strategist or whatever. You're the chief operating officer of this business. 
And I feel much more in line with that now than I did when I started working for you full time. And it's, it makes me want to like do another podcast like this in a year or a few years mm-hmm. and look back. Oh, yeah. And just be like, compare. Oh, we knew everything back then. We knew so cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I felt like a CEO back then. That's hilarious. Look at the size of our team now and everything that we've done. I'm sure we will feel that way. But I, I, I feel love that, that way about this time last year. I was like, oh, I thought I knew all kinds of stuff. I know everything now. <laughs> everything. (laughs) Yeah, clearly I don't. Clearly next year will be the same thing again. So I'm curious too, because like that's how I feel from my perspective in my role. I'm curious to know for you, what does that look like? Like how do you see things shifting for you as the CEO? Okay, this is like the secret that I keep trying to tell everybody who is hesitant about having a team is I guess two things. So the first is that I really don't have a lot of engagement with our team. And that is an intentional choice for my brain to have this space to be so creative and to not have as much responsibility in the operations of the business. So for me, I think what's different is I feel like I have like less input into a lot of the like day-to-day items than I ever have before, which is very welcome. So that is really different. What is also different, and I have already kind of touched on this, is how much I love having a team of people whose livelihoods I am contributing to. Like this business that I created that was just like me selling a $40 one-on-one session on some random website trying to find clients like that business I started is now this multi-million dollar business that employs people that they pay their bills with like it's just really fulfilling and I think unexpectedly so like clearly this was not in my vision when I launched my business this is not the business I envisioned I envisioned fifty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. I was gonna- <laughs> you didn't start your business to make other people money. <laughs> yeah. No, no. So it was not what I got into this for. But it is a major driver to me of wanting to grow. Like I want to help the additional clients, but I also feel like I want to have those additional team members because I do think we are a great company to work for. And the opportunity we provide as an employer is equally good as the opportunity we provide to our clients. So that is so different too. And I love it. And I think on that note too, something that is shifting for me, and it's funny because I know we're talking about what changes at a million dollars. And now I'm thinking beyond that, what is changing? And it's that I'm putting so much more of my effort and energy into the team versus the tasks. So I am becoming less hands-on with things and delegating more, but my role becomes so much more fulfilling because I get to nurture our team. I know we talk about how, what the future is going to look like and having full-time employees and all of these things and creating these opportunities. And on one hand, we want to provide them with the money and the experience, but we also want to provide them with like, the future 
if that's making sense, like, I feel like it just adds a whole other layer to what we do in this business by knowing that we're developing careers Mm -hmm. for people and opportunities to grow and opportunities to develop as people and to develop as leaders. Yeah, I think so too. I, I know like when we made our last hire, we were specifically looking for somebody who wanted to grow with us and who would really be there like for the long run with us and grow with the company and all of those things. And it's so fun to think about. It's really fun. I think it's one of the reasons why we love hiring so much too. And I know that you've said that you don't have as much FaceTime as some of the team, but they're still, they're still part of the team. They're still part of the family. They're still part of this like amazing, like growing entity that we're building. And there's something about it that's just super special. It's like, who gets to be along for the ride? Yeah, it's amazing. Somebody asked who my first hire was, and I had a VA before anything else. That is not everybody's best first hire. This is something I teach in the mastermind. I walk through all of the different types of hires initially, like getting to your first million, all the different types of hires you might be making. And that's something that I work on with my clients, like when to know that they're ready, who to hire, that kind of thing. Brenna, do you want to do a quick rundown of who is on our team? Yeah, sure. roles we have? Sure. So we, we do have a virtual assistant who's amazing. So she helps a lot with like a lot of the scheduling of things, the scheduling of the emails, scheduling of content. She helps create marketing assets, you know, answers client emails, a lot of that typical, like what I would think of as typical virtual assistant work. Although I know that that is one huge growing industry with like all kinds of tasks that can be associated with it. We also have two program coaches. That has been really great. I know for you, you've been feeling very supported by having these women. I know our our clients have as well, being able to jump in and bring that added value to our clients, be more available to all of them than what you as one person could be. That's been really special. We have a podcast editor who is now a podcast editing team. So that's exciting. We love when a team member is growing their own business as well. Oh, yeah. Um, And actually, our podcast editor was my first person on my team. I was thinking like in-house people. Oh. And I think of her as like her own business. It's, yeah. She was the first person. Like when I first started my podcast, she has been editing since the very beginning. She's seen the entire evolution. So she was the first official like other person ever in my business. Yeah. Yeah. And all of the people that we've listed are contractors with the business. So technically they do have their own businesses, but again, like really close with our team, like integral parts of our team and how it functions. Yeah. So to be name them myself, obviously. <laughs> Brand new oh yeah. <laughs> role of program manager. Yeah. Yep. So we just hired for that role. So we'll have a new program manager actually starting tomorrow, which is so exciting. And I feel like that role has just so much opportunity and possibility with it. And again, it's going to be another one where I think it's going to bring so much additional value to our clients. I can't I wait. So too. So exciting. Yeah. 
and Stuart helps with a finance. I know role. when you were when you were leading up to it, you were like, "Are brand new," and I'm like, "CFO." <laughs> <laughs> I think that's everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have other people that I feel like we're loyal to who aren't working directly in the business, but like contribute to the success. We're obsessed with our photographer. Yes. If you look on my Instagram, you will notice I talk about her fairly often in my stories. Someone asked about team expenses, how much they are compared to revenue. So in 2021, they were about 20 to 30 ish percent. Right now, our projection for 2022 is that they'll be around 15%. The expenses for team actually increased by quite a bit, but the revenue projections also did. So that's why that percentage went down. Is there anything else that you want to share about team? I feel like a lot of the questions we got asked, we've kind of woven in or talked about already. Is there anything else we haven't covered? Did you want to talk about hiring? Did we get any questions about hiring? So I feel like we've really like gotten it down to an art. Yeah, I think so as well. I think for starters, we may have mentioned this, but it really comes down to values. I think that that is so critical for us. And when we're going through the whole hiring process, That is what we're looking to identify. Obviously, we want to know that someone has skills that match closely with, you know, the job description and all of that. But I think it really comes down to like, are you going to have the same values? Are you going to work from that same place? Um, And I think we have developed this sort of science around it because it's so important for us to really get to know the person. So I I think I joke about this all the time. I roll my eyes when I hear a lot of dating advice. I'm not someone who's been out dating for a while, so I could be missing the mark on this. But I just feel like so much of this like traditional dating advice is like, you should talk about these mild topics and wear this kind of thing and order this kind of food for like this many dates until they can really get to know you. And I feel like that is always how interviews were approached in a more like traditional, professional, corporate setting. I'm the opposite. I'm like, we need to rip off this Band-Aid. I need to know who you are. I have accidentally, not because they've been upset, because they've talked about emotional things, made people cry during interviews. But I want to get to the meat. I want to get... I want to get to the meat of who they are. I'm like, what are your passions? What drives you? What's your big why? Like, tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly. I have talked in interviews to people about why they get into coaching or why they're interested in your business. And I think we can both relate to this. A lot of the answers we get are because they became a mom and lost their identity or they fell into a depression and life coaching is what got them out of it. And we just end up having very honest and serious conversations. Of course, we interview people who are matching certain skill sets. I think we're very intentional going into the like creating the job description and creating the application of what information we need to look for that helps us we have such a strong filter filter. yeah yep exactly yeah and now if anyone has applied you'll know that we have now started including videos 
on our applications. And that, again, it's like, how do you show up? How do you present yourself? How do you talk to us? If you get three minutes to tell us something as part of this initial filtering process to move on to the next phase, what is it that you're choosing to tell us? And that has been so great for really getting to know people. And I think it's made our interview process very simple because we learn so much just in that initial application phase about who this person is, that when it gets to the interview, then we can kind of drill down even more and see not only is it a match, like I said, skill set wise, but is this somebody who's, who's going to make sense on our team? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like a lot of times when people hear like a video and how you present yourself, they have like certain expectations of what that is. And I think like our most recent hire, I know the impression I got on the video was like, this is someone who is so real and so genuine and so willing to show us that right off the bat. And that yeah. really, I think, impressed both of us. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily about like who's the most polished or professional. Like, right. Uh, that's like almost never what we're looking for. I feel like right. we're looking for like who is the most comfortable in their skin and like yeah. honest and real with us. It's very endearing to see the real sides of someone. And I, if, I know I have used this before, but it's like when they tell you not to eat a salad on the first date, I'm like, eat the salad. Yeah. Get that Show us what it looks teeth. like when you eat that salad. <laughs> get that yeah. spinach in your teeth. Pick it out on the call. <laughs> <laughs> we want to know the real you. <laughs> I think it's so telling. So we, I think through hiring a lot in the past year, we've just like really gotten it down and we, like I will put together the job description, Brenna will take a look. We have not a standard application, but some like standard things that we include on the application. And then we have some custom things depending on the role. We put it out, people share it. I feel like this is like the most powerful thing is that I ask people to share it. And I think that's how some of our best people come just like through that yeah. that extended network. And then we filter and we interview. I think you've you've interviewed four people every single time we've hired. I think so, yeah. And we, yeah. we've gotten pretty consistent numbers, like high numbers of applicants for each role. Yeah, so I, our last time. I think it says a lot about that filtering process that we're able to drill it down to mm-hmm. pretty much four four interviews every single time. Mm-hmm. I think so too. So – I don't know. I think we're pretty great at hiring. And so yeah. can we teach our hiring process in the yes. mastermind? Because I'm yes. like, we clearly have figured something out. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do want to add too that although we talk about being aligned with the business and the values, we're not looking for clones of me or clones of Samantha. We're specifically looking for not clones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love when someone has values that are aligned and it resonates with them, but they have like a very unique perspective or something that adds varying levels of diversity to our business and how we approach things because it's not, it's not beneficial to anyone if we're hiring clones of ourselves. So that is something we're very intentional about as well. I think so too. I think you know, clearly we're related. And so we have very similar viewpoints on many things and similar backgrounds, life experiences, that kind of thing. So 
we for sure really value bringing in people who have different viewpoints, different backgrounds, different lived experiences, all of those things. I think it just really enriches our team, the value we provide to clients because all of the clients are not exactly like us. So that is for sure like one of our top priorities when we're hiring. Yeah. And I think something that I've had to work on, not just in this role, but in past management roles, and you talk about it, is not being too precious with things and not wanting to hold on to tasks because I believe that I can do them a certain way or like it's just easier if I do it or whatever. It's definitely something I like continuously have to work on at different levels. And I am always looking to hire that person that I think is going to do something better than me. Mm Mm-hmm. Like that feels like such a fun challenge to me of who's going to like perform this task better or have this perspective that's better or contribute something so different than what I'm contributing. Like I want to hire someone who I don't want to say makes me look bad, but you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) sure. I think so too. I heard something recently where they were like, you know, you need to like let go of needing the person to do it even as well as you, let alone better. And I feel like our experience has just been kind of different than that. But I think it is only because of our mentality. I think that we really work hard to not see the way that we do it as the best way or the only way. So then if somebody does it differently, it is not a problem. Yeah. Even the program coaches, like they will for sure coach differently than me. And I think that's a good thing. I completely agree. It's, I think it's extremely beneficial to our clients. It's something we get feedback on from our clients that it's been very helpful for them to get multiple perspectives mm-hmm. because not all coaching resonates with everybody. Not everyone can relate to everyone else in a certain way. And so sometimes you need to hear it from people with, you need to hear those different perspectives until something clicks or to help give you multiple ways of looking at something. And I feel that way on the team outside of immediate coaching, having someone, even our virtual assistant come to me and have a question about a launch that never even like came across my mind. And it didn't come across my mind because we had a very specific strategy, but maybe they introduce a question and you're like, oh, okay, we didn't think about it in this way. Yeah. And along those same lines, something else I think that we've done a good job of, and we at least we've tried to be really intentional about it and made a lot of effort towards is that again, a lot of parallels between the interview process and onboarding a team. You know, I talk about how we want to see people show up in the interview process. The way that we make that okay is that like, I will also show up in a way that is very honest in the interview process. I remember interviewing people in my past job and, you know, before, right. Like directors and like, C-level officers would be talking about their poker faces Mm -hmm. and how stern they needed to come across and how they don't give anything back. And it's like, how do you expect someone to be fully transparent with you if you're going to be like completely non-responsive back? So I think back to our program coaches, I had them do some impromptu coaching with me on the coaching call, but I used real examples for my own life of things that were sensitive to me and got coached on them. Mm -hmm. 
And when we work with our team members, I want our team members to feel like they can come to us and be open and transparent, ask questions and make recommendations and feel like their ideas are heard and we, we value them. And I feel like the way that we can do that is by asking their opinions, like prompting them to answer these certain things by showing them who we are, how we make mistakes and all of those things. Yeah. Yep. So good. I told you I can talk about this forever. (laughs) I hope you guys are ready to buckle in for the next two more hours of our team discussion. Just kidding. (laughs) It's funny because we won't do it, but we could do it. (laughs) Okay. So as we're wrapping up, I just had like a couple additional thoughts or questions that I was curious about us answering our favorite part of the business like now Mm. and then our favorite moment of growth getting to where we are now. Oh, interesting. Okay. I have multiple favorites. I don't just have one favorite. I think I see favorites within like different facets of things. So I think one thing that's my favorite in the business is obviously impacting the people we impact, both our clients and those on our team. I'm really passionate about growing and nurturing a team and helping people in that way. I'm not a coach, but I I hope that my work impacts our clients. I believe that it does. And I know you feel very similarly about both of those things. And then I think, I mean, one of my favorite things about our business is that we get to work together. Mm -hmm. I think so too. We talk about this a lot. It makes it so much more fun, I think, for both of us that we get together. Like, I have people who just, they have a regular COO or OBM or VA. A regular COO. (laughs) I'm not a regular COO. I'm a cool COO. (laughs) Like a regular one. They just, like, found you know, walking down the street or whatever. Yeah, that's how other people get their COOs. (laughs) I think what I mean by regular is somebody that they don't have an existing relationship with that they hired in a more traditional hiring process. And their first relationship is that CEO, COO type relationship. And I think that's just so different. Like when I see that, I just think, oh, that is a little sad to think about compared to the dynamic that we have. Yeah. I mean, I think about us traveling and going to our live events and we get rooms that are attached and we prep for the event together and we get dressed up together. And I think it's helpful too, because it's not, it's not super common to do what we're doing. I think we're making it more common. Like obviously the work that we're doing is making it a lot more common and we're able to connect with people who are similar to us in that way and having those shared experiences, but then you go into our family and that's not the case, Mm -hmm. but it's like shared excitement and shared milestones. It just, there's something about it that feels really special. It's like, we're a part of this like magic this unbelievable process, something that blows people's minds or that something so crazy and amazing that our own family members can't wrap their heads around it. And we get to do that together. And we have somebody who understands that outside of an immediate like entrepreneurship circle in our regular lives. 
I think that is really fun and another layer. And I think like as you were talking about it, I was just like, oh, this is like a dream life. Like when you remember that you get to like decide, like I feel like when you're a kid, you're like, oh, big dreams, all of these things. And I feel like that's what we have. We have like a childhood dream come true. I was thinking about it too. And I was thinking about how when I was a kid, something that seemed really like a dream of mine, something that was like modeled for us was Mugsy and Pop's lifestyle. Mm-hmm. The this building of the parents, by the way, everyone's like, who the hell is Mugsy? Oh yeah. <laughs> Interesting nickname. <laughs> She's not a gangster. <laughs> but they, you know, our grandfather had built this business and she was like right there with him, supporting him. And they traveled the entire world together. And I feel like that's the piece too, that really stood out to me. They would send us postcards from Mm -hmm. everywhere around the world that they traveled to. And I had done some coaching work just like on it for the new year in this role. And I found that like one of my leading feelings when I was thinking about this business is that I felt limitless. Mm. And when I think of limitless, like for some reason, I associate that a lot with travel too. We're not limitless right now with COVID. (laughs) We cannot travel wherever we want, but I was like, that's going to be Sam and I, we're going to be like flying first class, going on these amazing adventures all around the world, having built this business. Mm -hmm. And I, it really felt like, oh, dreams coming true. Yeah. I love that. What's been your favorite moment of growth? You're going to laugh at this. Can't Last month. Okay, that's also mine. So. Because we had our design 2022 launch and we had been experimenting so much going through the innovation cycle and we hadn't hit our goals. Was it all year that we didn't hit a single goal for mama to CEO? You were like presenting this in such a gracious way. Okay. (laughs) It didn't feel gracious. We didn't hit a single one of our goals and that's gracious. (laughs) Well, the way that you were so kindly framing it in the innovation cycle, but like I had not hit a launch goal. This even like predated you. I had not hit a launch goal with the Mama to CEO program since I started it. And it was a, a point of extreme pain for me for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, I think we innovating. So yeah. Also, it hurt. <laughs> yeah. It did hurt though. And it was, it was interesting to have to recalibrate so many times and reevaluate our, our thoughts and reevaluate our strategy. And I would, and this kind of goes back to what we said previously, where we were saying like, it's not magic. It doesn't happen right away when you change your thoughts. Like there, we had to be patient. There was a lot of time in between having all of these, I won't call them failed launches, but really launches where we did not hit our goal over and over and over again. And in the process, working on our mindset individually together, working on our strategy individually together, continuing to get more clarity around the programs, our audience, like all of the things. And we would meet and I would think that we were so aligned and we were so onto something and it wouldn't translate into like immediate success in the next launch. Mm -hmm. 
And what was really cool about last month is we did design 2022. We surpassed our goal. It was the easiest launch we have ever had. And I was doing some solo work, just kind of evaluating that, that launch and that process, what worked and what didn't. And I felt like everything that worked, I could tie back to a lesson from one of the previous launches. Yeah. It was so satisfying. <laughs> I know. It's like when I talk about like the belief I had at the beginning of my business that there's only so many ways to fail. And like when you collect them all, you're going to succeed or accidentally succeed or whatever. I felt like we collected them all. <laughs> yeah. Because we learned from each one. It was like it put the puzzle together. Like it all came together. That's mm -hmm. definitely how it felt for me. It, <laughs> I was joking with you. It was like the final exam of like all of our <laughs> years worth of trying. We finally passed our final, which I don't want to relate anything to school because I feel like people get so in their heads trying to make business like school. Um, we for but, sure did not think going into the launch that it was the final exam. No, we did and not use that I'm as a thought at all. <laughs> I don't need anything from this launch. Like I actually believed like I have already gotten what I needed from this launch. Like I, every other launch before this one, I had very much a strong need to prove that I had figured it out. Mm -hmm. And this was the first launch that I went into where I didn't feel the need to prove that I had figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. And something that I had been thinking a lot, especially after a couple of like those failed launches was like, we're one step closer, just always believing we were one step closer. And I feel like that was a thought I really used for the design launch where it was like, no matter the outcome, I know that we are one step closer. And then when it did feel easy, like I know you said that I was working Thanksgiving and I was not Thanksgiving day, but like during that week, but it wasn't like hustly. Oh no, we're not going to get it. If I don't run these ads or don't figure this out, it, it wasn't coming from that place. It was like everything I learned gets us a step closer. Yeah. And I felt like both of those things for us, like both of those mindsets for us served us so well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that we have the same favorite moment of growth. Yeah. It's just, it can't be something. I mean, it could be something else, but it's just so obvious. It was, again, so satisfying. It was so fun to celebrate it. It was so fun to go into the holidays, like coming off this accomplishment. Yeah. And I think it makes the win so much sweeter when you have put a lot into it. Yeah, totally. I completely so agree. Well, my favorite part of the business, I think it's just live events, whether it's yes. design or the mastermind events in person. I feel like that's my element. That is the thing where I just thrive and feel amazing. A lot of people are like, oh, you must feel so tired after your events. I feel super energized after them. Yeah, I can vouch for that for people who don't believe her because I know we've had some skeptics before who were like, how can you talk for three straight days and travel and not be exhausted? She's not exhausted. That's not a thing. <laughs> no, I just love it. So that is always my favorite thing, especially the mastermind events. Like, oh, they're just so special. They're so good. I cried at the end of the last one and I think about that moment all the time. Yeah. All the clients stood up and gave me a standing ovation and I you just, had a client asked who asked if she could pay you more money <laughs> yes and I just 
had this sense of gratitude and awe for the fact that they trusted me with their goals, with their biggest dreams. Like we talk about dreams coming true, like that is what they entrust me with. And that just was so profound to me in that moment. And so many of them I've worked with for years and have seen come from zero dollars to hundreds of thousands and all of it. So I just yeah. really cherish that and being able to see see my clients, watch them yeah. run, get results, all the things. And just like even as simple as seeing them in person, mm-hmm. it is so fun to like physically see them and see the impact and talk to them. Mm-hmm. So powerful. All right. This has been a marathon. Brenna and I clearly could continue talking for several more hours and maybe we will, but we are going to stop recording <laughs> now. We're we won't make you, you hear way. it. <laughs> if you are joining the next round of the mastermind, we cannot wait to have you get your applications in. Today is the last day to apply and we cannot wait to see you. All right, everybody. Talk to you again next week. If you like this podcast, I want to invite you to coach with me over in my program, Mama to CEO. There's you and there's the consistent income you want to make in your business. And I help you remove everything standing in between. It's lifetime access for mastering your marketing, sales, time, and everything else you need to have the business and life you really want. Whether it's making your first thousand or a hundred thousand, I can help you do it. To join, go to mamatoceo.com, M-A-M-A-T-O-C-E-O.com.